Hi, this is Yitz Greenberg, and I'm here to read you the Dvar Torah for the Parshat Achremot Kedoshim. Its title is, A Torah to Live By. In the Damascus Covenant Charter of the Jewish sect that lived in Qumran, it specifically states that if a person falls into water and is drowning on Shabbat, it is forbidden to pull them out. Presumably, the rescue is forbidden because one would need to do types of labor to pull them out. But these actions violate the restrictions of Shabbat. We know from the book of Maccabees that a group of Hasidim of Maccabee days were attacked on Shabbat and killed because they refused to fight the Greek army and save their own lives. Again, they felt defending themselves would involve actions that are prohibited on Shabbat. However, the rabbis of the Talmud ruled that one should do any and all needed actions to save a life on Shabbat, because life-saving overrides the laws of Shabbat. To the rabbis, it was self-evident that saving a life overrides all but three of the laws of the Torah. Even if there was only a possibility that a life is at stake, despite the uncertainty, one should override all the laws and act to prevent death. The Talmud records a discussion between the three reading rabbis in their generation, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah, and their students, as to what is the legal justification for this ruling. Rabbi Akiva cited the fact that the priest did their sacred sacrificial work every day of the week, including Shabbat. The sacrifice worship overrode Shabbat. Nevertheless, if the priest was needed to testify in a capital punishment case, and his testimony might save the life of the accused by tilting this case toward acquittal, then he was called away from divine service, a service which itself was so weighty as to outrank Shabbat observance. If a possible long shot saving a life overrode a service weightier than Shabbat, and how much more so should one do on Shabbat the medical actions needed that could save a life? Rabbi Lazar cited the case of circumcision. Circumcision is performed on the eighth day of the baby's life, even on Shabbat. Now, if taking care of one limb of the body overrides Shabbat, then taking care and saving the whole body certainly overrides the laws of Shabbat. Rabbi Simon ben Benassia suggests that one is permitted to violate one specific Shabbat to save a person's life, because this will enable that person to observe many more Sabbaths going forward. Other students offer other rationales. You can see Yuma 85b for all of them. But in the end, the Talmud sweeps aside all these legalistic arguments and logical justifications for doing life-saving actions on Shabbat. The supremacy of life is not based on casuistic interpretations of the laws of Shabbat. The Talmud simply says that overriding Shabbat to save, or even only possibly save a life, is based on a fundamental principle of the Torah that undergirds all the laws of the Torah. Quote, you shall observe my statutes and rulings in the Torah, which a person shall do and live by them. I am the Lord, says the Talmud 
you shall live by them, the commandments, and not die by them. The laws of the Torah were given to people to live by. If observance of the law will lead to death, then the law is suspended because God bestows the Torah to give us life, not death. <clears throat> this principle is so fundamental that Maimonides writes that the life-saving work done on Shabbat should preferably done by the leaders of the community and by the Torah's scholars. One should not ask a Gentile or a Jewish child who is not yet obligated to keep Shabbat to do this labor. That action would imply that we are looking for a technicality to minimize the violation of Shabbat. But such an approach, in Maimonides' judgment, belittles the weightiness of Shabbat observance. Rather, the Shabbat laws are very important, but the principle that the Torah laws are given, quote, to live by and not die by, simply suspends them for the sake of saving a life. So ideally important religious role models should step up and take on the life-saving tasks to be done on Shabbat. Maimonides adds, if observing a Torah law such as Shabbat leads one to allow a human being to die, that would imply that God is a vengeful, authoritarian Lord who gives laws that bring vengeance or cruelty into the world. That is wrong, because actually the Torah's laws are given to bring, quote, more compassion, loving kindness, and peace into the world. Therefore, those people who would describe life-saving actions as violating the Shabbat turn the Torah's laws into the curse that the prophet Yechezkel placed on wayward Israel. Quote, I, God, gave them Israel statutes that were no good, commandments that one cannot live by. See Yechezkel chapter 20, verse 25. Now, behind this disagreement, are vying interpretations of the nature and purpose of the Torah's commandments. One school sees the commandments as constituting service of God. God is a divine ruler who gives orders to his servants. Theirs is not to question why. Human obedience is an acknowledgment of God's sovereignty. Sometimes a law has a harsh or damaging impact on a person. But out of respect for divine authority, one upholds it. Shabbat was not meant to cost lives. But if it works out that upholding Shabbat costs a life, then that constitutes honoring God and taking commandments seriously. Giving one's life when our religion is under attack is an honored behavior. Being a martyr is the highest form of loyalty and sacrifice. In a sense, this case of upholding a law at great personal cost is on the spectrum of martyrdom. This past year, many people were perplexed by the Haredi response to the COVID-19 pandemic. They continued to learn and pray in groups, although this led to increased infections and many deaths. Did not the Haredi rabbis know what is common knowledge, that life-saving overrides most of the Torah commandments? Well, a theology of commandments much like the one delineated in the above paragraph, accounts for much of this behavior. The Haredi rulings to go on with group religious activities accepted that illnesses and deaths would increase. 
but that this is a form of martyrdom, that is, sacrificing lives to stand up for God and honor God's sovereignty. Perhaps I should add here that Maimonides would appear to reject my respectful presentation of the Haredi interpretation. He calls people who consider life-saving actions done on Shabbat to be some form of violation of the Torah, he calls them apikorsim, that is, heretics, not because they advocate anti-traditional views, but because their teaching misrepresents the true nature of God. God is not so self-centered as to sacrifice human lives for the sake of upholding the honor and authority of God. God wants humans to be good to each other, to save each other's life, to just plain live more. The Torah was given to live by. So the alternative schools of interpretation of the Torah, for which Maimonides is speaking, believes that the commandments are a gift of love from God for humans. They are intended to give people better and richer lives, to guide them to healthier living and to make them safer from death. In his Guide to the Perplexed, Maimonides comments on the verse in Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verses 12-13. What does the Lord your God ask of you? To keep the commandments of the Lord and the statutes which I command you this day for your good. The Torah is telling us that the commandments are given for the sake of improving your quality of life, including your health and your well-being. If observance of the law is having a negative impact on your life, says Maimonides, you should revisit the law. You are likely misinterpreting it. He also adds if reinterpretation does not redress the negative impact in your life, then probably you have a wrong understanding of what's good for you. This understanding of mitzvah reflects another truth. It's difficult to imagine that this cosmic Lord who sustains the infinite galaxies and worlds really is deeply exercised about the details of halachic observance. Two percent or more of treif in a kosher stew leads the Lord to prohibit eating it and to punish those who consume it. Eating chametz or even cooking trace amounts of chametz in a dish and eating on Pesach leads to drastic and eternal punishment. To some, this comes across as heavy-handed exercise of authority, more appropriate to a human ruler who wants to assert power for the sake of self-aggrandizement. The second school argues that the halachic rules do not reflect divine personal concerns at all. The commandments are all about guiding human beings and helping them live better. A classic statement in the Midrash captures this approach. Quote, do you think it matters at all to the Holy One, the Blessed, whether one properly slaughters an animal? That's to say, in Shechita, the knife cut is from the front of the neck, cuts the jugular vein and the esophagus, and instantly cuts off the flow of blood and air, so the animal loses consciousness. So do you think that God really matters to God to do it this way and eats? Or if one kills the animal by cutting its neck from the back and then eats? No, the Midrash implies. The commandments are not about God or God's needs. Quote, the commandments were given to refine people. The purpose of the Torah's rule is not to control people or make them show obedience, 
The purpose of these instructions is to make people more loving, compassionate, ethical, sensitive. The Torah is refining human nature, trying to remove or minimize selfishness or schadenfreude, or trying to reduce negative character traits that prevent us from doing right by other people. I should point out that the Hebrew phrase used here, litzaref etabriot, to refine people. The verb litzaref is used in metallurgy for the process in which copper or other impurities are removed in order to yield pure gold. So all in all, it is probably too narrow an understanding of the Torah to focus on the supremacy of life-saving actions and their priority over all but three of the commandments. This uh, narrowness is hinted at in the Talmud statement that even in a remote possibility of saving your life, it triggers all the necessary work to be done, including overriding all Shabbat restrictions. The point is we are commanded to uphold life and not just act in a case when a life will be clearly lost immediately. So I thank God that in Judaism human life is more precious than ritual actions, even those that honor God. However, the deeper teaching is that God gives the Torah to help humans live more, more lovingly, more vibrantly, more joyfully, more justly. This should guide us not only to save others' lives, but to enrich lives, others and our own. We should interpret the laws to make life more livable. We should apply them to build a society that improves the lives of more people. Our science, medicine, and national policies should be guided by Torah and designed to extend life expectancy and enable people to live more healthy, productive, and fulfilling lives. In the words of the classic Amidah standing silent player, quote, By the light of your face, you, God, have given us a Torah of life, of loving kindness, of righteousness and blessing, of compassion and life and shalom, which is peace or wholeness. It is our generation's task to develop this Torah of life to guide all our actions toward increasing life. That would make the Torah what it wants to be, in all its details, a Torah to live by.